right, thanks everyone for coming today. Uh, I really appreciate you guys all coming out. Um, this, this idea of a round table, actually, I've been wanting to do for many, many years, especially to talk with other fellow veterans. Um, so I'm really excited for today. Um, so we'll just get right into it. If you guys could just introduce yourself to the group, um, you know, and, and how you came to find that, that recruiter or, you know, how to sign that dotted line and put up your hand for the oath. How about Alex, let's start with you. My name is Alex Secord, I'm with the U.S. Army. Um, I basically joined the military because I came from a heritage of uh, my family being in the military, so it was just a door for me to, you know, you know, break the ice with that one as well. Um, I enjoyed it as well, uh, be serving in the military, um, but that was like one of the reasons why, just to keep it in the family, family tree. Nice. How long did you serve for? Uh, it would be going on 11 years. Oh, nice. Oh, so you're in right now? I'm still technically active duty. Wow. So, awesome. Yeah. Oh, cool. That's great. Awesome. Thank you. How about uh, you, Tanner? Uh, so my name is Tanner Caceres. Um, I was with the Marines, and I did five years, so it was 2013 to 2017. Um, I always knew I wanted to be in the military. You know, like Alex, we have all kinds of family members, Navy, Army, um, all the above. So I just figured I'd go top dog on this one. <laughs> and then... Uh, uh, yeah, I, I did five years as a combat camera, um, and it was amazing, yeah. Were you just taking pictures, or were you doing video? So for when I was at uh, MCC SSSS, we were actually forefronting like a, um, a Marine Corps TV series, essentially. So uh, we were doing, it would like be documentary work, right? Um, so uh, we would cover, like, uh, for instance, the first female um, uh, infantry Marines. We, we covered them on the School of Infantry East. We covered the first female um, amphibious assault Marines as well. Uh, wow. So like where they would work on like the the big um, man nomenclature is escaping my my mind. <laughs> yeah, it's right been now. a while. It's been a while. Yeah, the 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 triple uh, A uh, man. Triple A V. Yeah, triple A V. Yeah. Um, so we we covered you know all the training that they had to do. You know, being able to dead weight lift uh, was it like 160 pounds out of the top of a um, uh, one of the AVs. <laughs> you know, they had to do everything, wow. everything that we did. Awesome. <laughs> so uh, it was it was pretty incredible. So when I was in the uh, Navy, my last two years in, um, I you know I was electronics technician, so I worked on radars, communications, GPS stuff, and. Um, you know, they call me Twidget, you know, because you carry on a tweaker to like tweak the little adjustments and everything, right? <laughs> but I actually <laughs> was really interested in filmmaking. And yeah. this was back in 99 or whatever, 2000. And um, my last deployment at Southpac, I really wanted to start making videos. And so I just started, my friend and I, uh, this other guy, his name is Mo. He's a Japanese guy, I was a Chinese guy. We started our own TV show on the ship. And it was oh, a very wow. like, MTV, Tom Green, jaywalking, <laughs> and we were just going around making people, you know, making people answer stupid questions, you know, like who's the vice president, and they'd be like, uh, you know, <laughs> stuff like that, right? And then just, and that's how I learned how to film, how to edit everything, and it was all for fun, and we would just show it within our own ship, you know. And it was so much fun, and you just laugh, and you just make like a quick montage video of all the ship operations, different things like that. And so that's actually how I uh, started, you know, other than being a kid and filming stuff, but that's how I really started becoming a filmmaker and stuff like that. 
It was very opposite of what my job was. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Keep the ships entertained like that with your own little yeah. come up like that. We would do like uh, MTV Cribs kind of style, but on the <laughs> ship. And so, you know, people would be like, oh, this is where I sleep. But they'd be like sleeping on the missile and stuff like that. And then, <laughs> and then the, the air dance, the guys who flew the helos, we, they found a little smoke machine and then they just smoked out the whole helo and they would come out of the helo like as if they hot boxed the place. Like, oh, what's up, guys? And stuff like that. It was hilarious. Now we know where our tax dollars went. To. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's, that's cool. Jimmy, how about yourself? Hi, I'm Jimmy. And um, this is a unique story how I got interested. I was walking through Union Square when it's old Union Square and soldiers and Jeeps parking Union Square. I went, oh, this is kind of neat. Being a gay man, that's kind of cool. Next year, I'm down at the uh, National Guard unit signing up and taking my oath. And when I got to Fort Sill my first night, I said, what have I got myself into? And I said, I joined because I love my country. And I don't care how tough it is, I will serve my country. And I survived. I'm very proud of being a veteran serving my country. Awesome. How long did you serve? Like, I was Army era? National Guard, 83 to 89. Uh, I was quartermaster. And unfortunately, I had to take an early leave absence in 83 due to illness. Chris, how about yourself? Um, my father was in the Korean War, got a Bronze Star and a Purple Heart. Whoa. And uh, my uncle was in Vietnam. He was a uh, missile maintenance. Uh, he worked on the Hawk missiles. And uh, so I, I decided to follow tradition and, and I went in the U.S. Army. So we went from 1982 to 2002, spent 20 years in. Mm. And uh, my combat tour was over in Bosnia, Her Herzegovina, and uh, that was a big eye-opener for me. Um, I seen children that were wounded in combat mm. from uh, the mines and all that stuff placed over there. So it, 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 uh, it, 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 it affected me in, in a way of you know, what are we doing in this world? And, uh, but uh, I enjoyed serving my country just like my father and my uncle and my other relatives. And uh, it was a good tour. Nice. Yeah, myself, I think I have a different story. <laughs> I actually uh, just didn't get along with my dad at all. You know, all through high school, he would kick me out. I'd be staying with friends and stuff like that. And I had this, you know, mentor from kind of like this boys and girls club I hung out in Chinatown here in San Francisco. And so he was in the Navy and he got out. And for some reason, I thought that was just my only out to get out of the house or whatever. Um, you know, not really well off as a family, so didn't have like an opportunity to go to like a, a four-year school and didn't really understand school at all either, like the, the grants and whatnot. So, but when I heard like, you know, college fund, GI Bill, all that stuff, right? Um, I was like, ooh, that's kind of interesting. And then, but then obviously I think talking to my friend, he was like, if you want to be safe, don't go Marine or Army. And if you, you know, want to have a little more adventure, you know, pick Navy and you can see the world and stuff like that. So that I went in, um, I served from 97 to 03. Uh, stationed on the USS Ollendorf as a Spruance can destroyer. And we did, in my, my time, we did three tours of West Pack and one in South Pack. 
And so definitely got to see a lot of the world, slept on the ship a lot. And uh, so uh, just much, much different uh, life than definitely all my friends had, you know. So um, I wanted to ask uh, how was like that very first moment, first few days of boot camp? Um, I know for me, I'll admit it that I was, by the time I got in bed, maybe 72 hours later from getting off the bus, I finally like started crying and like saying, what the hell did I decide to do here? Um, but even getting off the bus and everyone was shouting out these numbers, finally realizing that everyone was telling their social security number and I was like quickly trying to memorize mine uh, on the bus and uh, just getting ready, getting used to that atmosphere of being yelled at a lot and stuff like that. But how was, how was that first few moments of boot camp? Tanner, how about you? Uh, I mean, so traveling from San Francisco, this is where I signed up to San Diego. I didn't even have time to think when I was even on the plane. <laughs> you know, we went up, uh, you know, stabilized, then right back down, and it was straight into it. Um, unfortunately, too, uh, the group that I was with uh, we were already late for the bus to the, for the drill instructors. Uh, so we got all kinds of hell right off the bat. <laughs> so yeah, definitely uh, the, the first couple of moments, a little bit of regret was going through, but honestly, after that first week, you know, it was, it just became the new normal and uh, it was great. And well, remind me, when did you join in again? 2013. 2013? So, yeah. was, okay. And I want to gauge, uh, the the era because i was in 97 they still were able to kind of touch you and oh yeah uh, and stuff like that so uh <laughs> right i've heard 2013 like were they able to touch you were they or just yell at you uh i mean i think they weren't necessarily supposed to touch you uh <laughs> marine corps drill instructors get, mm-hmm. get a little crazy <laughs> but you know it, it was all it was nothing was done maliciously it was all done uh for you know actual training right so yeah. alex how about yourself boot camp for me um it was uh I won't say it was too difficult, but you know, it did have, you know, it's hard times, but um, I went down to Fort Benning uh, for infantry training and um, I enjoyed it a lot. I definitely learned a lot about myself as a person as well, going down there. Um, but it was, it was definitely a good time down in Fort Benning. Nice. Chris, how about yourself? Uh, well, when I went in, it was, uh, uh, they they were allowed to really work you over for uh, push-ups and sit-ups and all that stuff and dropping you. And uh, I was, because uh, my dad went through it, I, I was like, I know I can do this. Mm. And uh, I barely do any push-ups when I got in there. Same. And, and when I left, I was doing 40 push-ups. And, uh, wow. So I was... Uh, and they, they, they were allowed to reach out and touch you, but it was in that time frame where they were adjusting to getting away from that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but they didn't do it in such a way as to be malicious, as Tanner was saying. Right. Uh, they, they did it as a training thing, and, and uh, uh, I, I enjoyed it. I, I really liked it. Yeah, it was definitely like a... I don't know how you say it, but 
if everyone in the group suffering together, it, it created a bond oh, yeah. between you know your command and stuff like that. There was a thing called Ricky Rain. You know, they call Ricky as, as short for recruit. And then basically sometimes when we get really in trouble, everyone would have to pull out their, push their bunks off to the side and we would have to exercise until the ceiling started dripping from condensation. So they'd call it Ricky Rain. And you can hear our RDC just coming in like middle of the night just yelling, Ricky Rain, Ricky Rain. And everyone's just waking up like, oh no, oh no. Like everyone's like running trying to get as much water in them. You know, so they, they know they're gonna sweat it out and stuff like that. So um, that was definitely something I remember. How about you, Jimmy? I arrived at Fort Sill, Oklahoma in 83. We get into camp and the gentleman gets on the bus, looked just like Lou Gossett from the movie Option and Gentleman. He looked at me, goes, y'all got 30 seconds to get off my bus and 29 is gone. I'm sitting there, everyone's gone. Cause everyone jumped up, bounced right, finally comes in, goes, and what are you waiting for? Well, I thought, he goes, oh no, that was my biggest mistake, Tom, I thought. But as I said, it was scary. The first night I'm like, what in the hell have I done? I'm a gay man in the middle of the United States of America. Back then, they could really mess with you. But I said, God, give me my strength. I'll make it. And he did. And it was a very unique experience. I was 32 when I went in. They called me Grandpa. And thanks to the discipline of the old school where your grandparents and all could literally grab you by the shirt and let you know. So the discipline was good there. And uh, it was a real unique experience. Believe it or not, at 32, I learned things how to grow up, to survive and reach out to your comrades to help each other. And to me, that was the best part of experience, knowing that I'm serving my country, and when I come home, I'll still be able to serve my country by helping my fellow veterans. What, what were some either highlights or, or challenges that you faced during your enlistment? Be like? Well, the challenge was the fact I was 32 years old. Most people were as young as 18. And I'm thinking, how am I gonna make it? And the first time we had to do one of them drills where you got the knapsack on and like 500 pounds of stuff you really don't need and you're marching and someone behind you says, Mac, you're old, how in the heck are you doing this? I see that man up there, you see that size boot he got? He said, if I don't stay, keep up, he's gonna kick my tail. Well, he ain't gonna do that because I'm gonna keep up. And again, it was young people that encouraged me and yet at the same time, I was able to encourage them saying that, you know, you guys are young, I'm older, so we need to work together. And to me, that was the whole idea of joining the service, is making good friends, but knowing that you're looking out for your country so we can have our freedoms, be able to go places, do things. And um, I'll be honest, it's, it's, I wish I hadn't got sick when I did, because when I put my uniform on, I was a proud soldier. But unfortunately, due to my illness, I had to take early leave of absence. But again, it was a unique experience. I would do it over again if I had the chance to. Nice. Daryl, I think one of the obvious challenges for me was coming from San Francisco as a as Chinese American and being in this bubble and then going, serving in the military and like being exposed you know, to everything new. Um, on my ship of like 400, I was the only Chinese guy. There was probably only wow. like 12 to 15 Asian people in general. And like even just trying new things, like first time seeing on the mess line, like a pigs in a blanket or cordon bleu, all these like <laughs> random, but actual like normal things like meatloaf. I've never tried meatloaf until I was in the service, you know, cause I grew up, you know, it's very traditional Chinese. My parents, you know, immigrate from China and stuff like that. 
So it was kind of, it was definitely a, a hard adjustment at first. Um, but I think as I got to the ship, then, you know, you, you start creating these really core friendships with people, you know, and um, whether you're in the trenches with, you know, just, you know, you're fi figuratively or like, you know, realistic, you know, but like, I think um, somehow it, it got past the point of like, whether, you know, you're black or white, you're brown, you're yellow and stuff like that. And, you know, we're, we're all part of the same team and, you know, fighting for our country and stuff like that. And I, it, it felt very strong, especially like um, a few moments where our ship was one of the first ones near the USS Cole and they got bombed. Oh. And, then, um, and then obviously, you know, when 9-11 happened, you know, I was on, that was actually coincidentally my four year anniversary in the Navy is on that day, 9-11. So it was just like this, you know, everything changed, you know, kind of moment. But at the same time, everyone left and right of you, you know, we're, you know, always got each other's back. So it felt like we could do anything, you know what I mean? How about you, Alex? I'll say the most challenging thing I had um, in the service was uh, being an 82nd Airborne. That was probably the most challenging wow. thing I've ever done. Um, and, and for people who wouldn't know what that means, like what that actually is, what is that? So the 82nd Airborne basically uh, can rapidly deploy anywhere around the world in 18 hours or less. Um, so with that type of, uh, you know, background, requires a lot of training, things like that, you know, just a lot of operations that's involved as well. And it's just, it could take a toll on the body, but you know, it's at the end of the day, it is rewarding, which is wow. pretty cool about it. But yeah. That was the hardest throughout my career. Wow, that's awesome. Chris? Uh, I was, uh, my first duty assignment after AIT, which actually AIT was pretty difficult. It was 16 weeks. I uh, went to uh, school for electronics. And from there, you went how to fix the missile system, the tow and the dragon, and uh, Bradley's uh, came out later. But uh, from there, I went to 101st, and then 101st Airborne, uh, air assault, yep, and uh, they had similar mission as 82nd where they had to deploy within 18 hours. Wow. And uh, we had uh, 5th Special Forces that was uh, part, part of uh, 101st. Uh, our group of them was stationed out there. And uh, it, was, uh, it was an eye-opener. They. They had an incident in Africa that, that uh, jumped up and they sent uh, one of our teams out in, into Africa with the infantry. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, they went out on that mission. Dang, that's crazy. It's crazy how there's so much, uh, I mean, other than seeing in the movies, but how much, like, stuff we don't know what happens, you know, behind the scenes, like, you know, and like, um, and obviously we're here, I mean, Alex's still in, but we're here just living our life, enjoying a cup of coffee and stuff like that when there's like <laughs> so much crazy stuff going on, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of amazing. Uh, Tanner? Yeah, so um, probably one of the most challenging things that, uh, that challenged me, in, uh, mentally at least, um, for the Marine Corps was uh, uh, my last unit that I was stationed at. It was uh, MCC Triple S, Marine Corps Combat Service Support Schools. 
Uh, and uh, we had a very small combat camera team. So like as a videographers, there were maybe like three of us, uh, photographers, two or three, you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And out of the three videographers that we had, we, over the course of like a little over a year and some change, um, we covered every single school in the Marine Corps, Army, anywhere that we, the Marines would, would uh, train, we would travel and do all that. And I think I put in, it was like 14 or 1500 hours of my own time after work, uh, just to get everything done for editing. Um, you know, we're always driving, we're always moving. So like that last year, I didn't really have a life, but <laughs> you know what, we got it done. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, cause I mean, I, I loved all the, like the field ops, the, I spent time on the Kearsarge. Um, I don't know how you guys live on those Navy ships, uh, to be honest. Um, it sucks. <laughs> yeah. I spent uh, like a month on it and I was like, yeah, never again. <laughs> Please get me off this ship. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, I think uh, working with the, the MCC Triple S was the hardest thing that we had to do. Because uh, I mean, you know, everybody, like with a normal job, you get off, you're done. But with us, it's, you know, behind the scenes, it's always the editing, the, you're just always working, um, yeah. But it, it definitely instilled some uh, some really good. Uh, I don't know what it would really be uh, called. <laughs> Discipline, <laughs> I guess. So yeah. Key word. Yeah. I mean, I think even just some people are like discipline-wise. I think some people are always surprised. Like uh, even to me, like when I show up early to things. And not like on time, but early. Like even today, show, like you yeah. showed up early, and it was just like, oh yeah, I mean, of course, because he's a veteran, you know. Yeah. But uh, it, for some reason, it, most people, it's like, you know, being late is okay or on time is okay, kind of thing. But under, for some reason, in our mindset, uh, <laughs> being on time is not okay. You have to be early <laughs> for everything, um, and so you can see that. Um, Jimmy, could I ask, like, if you, you know, as, as a gay man, did you have any challenges being in the military? Or I know, like, you know, that whole era of when don't ask, don't tell was happening or anything. Well, I say when I, when I went in there, it was kind of tough. But I said, I made my choice, nobody else. So I said to myself, if I back out, it would be the biggest embarrassment because my grandfather was in the Navy. My brother, rest his soul, was Vietnam veteran. And I said, I can't do that. I said, I will do the best I can. And um, one of the things that kind of helped break the ice, because you're always worried, like, is somebody going to find out? Because back then, they could literally beat your ass, or the commander just walk up to you and say, you're out of here. We don't want your kind. But I dealt with it. And uh, but one experience, we're getting ready to do camouflage. We had some drill sergeants. They were like, they were your best friends. And there was times you wanted to run the other way as soon as they looked at you. And this one drill sergeant says, we're going to do camouflage. And I have the perfect person that's going to help us out. And I just said to myself, oh, shit. He said, yoo-hoo, Mr. San Francisco. And I'm like, mm-hmm. He goes, did you have something to say? I said, no, sir, I don't want to go with the brig. He goes, I'll let you say it this one time. I said, no, I can't say it. I said, I respect you, but just let you know, just because people come from San Francisco, Okay, and um, then when I went to uh, Fort Lee, Virginia, where I did my schooling, one of the guys, he come over and he literally says, you know, we need to have a talk. I said, did I do something wrong? He says, 
just be open with me, okay? I said, yes, I am. He goes, cool. He said, that's all I wanted to know. He goes, I thought so. He goes, but I could feel the tension. He goes, I just want to let you know, I've always admired you, respect you. Um, when you put your uniform, you took pride in it and the fact that being a gay man and still serving, he goes, that's amazing. I said, well, I said, it's, it's sad that people judge you because what you do behind closed doors, they should judge you what you're doing in public, which that's what they did. They judged me when I was in public doing really good. And when I was with my um, National Guard unit down in San Mateo, I always took pride. The minute I put that uniform on, I took pride and the commander recognized it. And he always appreciated whenever they needed somebody, even though I was quartermaster, they need me in the carpool to help or in the kitchen, I was always there. And let me just share this one last story, it was fantastic. I was on weekend maneuvers here in San Francisco during Fleet Week. This is how long ago it was. The commander says, I need you in the mess, okay. We're using the stainless steel trays. He's holding the tray, I'm getting ready to scoop some mashed potatoes. One of the Blue Angels flew under the Golden Gate Bridge. My commander almost, almost had mashed potatoes on his, on his chest but I didn't do it. But anyhow, that was a unique experience. And unfortunately, I got sick with HIV. I had to take an early leave absence. And my commander, he says, God, he goes, if there was anything in my powers to change things, he says, I would. He goes, he says, excuse me, I get very emotional. He goes, you were one of the best quartermasters this unit ever had. You showed, you came up and you respected soldiers. Before they just grabbed things to for granted, goes, but you taught them respect and dignity. I said, well, that was part of the training I felt that I got from the military respect and respect all your fellow Americans. And that's why I'm proud to be a veteran. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. I've got another story for you. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. There's uh, back in 85 when Beirut was bombed, <gasps> oh, yeah. they, uh, they, they called 101st out and uh, we, we'd lost an, an actual infantry unit when the plane went down. Oh my God. But when, when that alert came out, um, we were all, you know, jumping around, getting our spear and getting our stuff ready and all that stuff. And everybody looked around and they were like, where's Tex? Tex was one of the soldiers that was uh, with us. He worked uh, with Vulcans, fixed Vulcan, um, the Gatlin gun. And uh, everybody's like, where's Tex? Where's Tex? And so they opened up the wall locker and found Tex in the wall locker. <laughs> <laughs> They said, come on. <laughs> I've, I've heard of out of the closet, but out of the locker, that's a good one. <laughs> so I, um, I asked everyone if you could to bring something to share with the group and kind of share why it either has some significance to you, you know, what, what's so special about it, and, and maybe hopefully share a story about it and stuff. Um, how about we, we start with Alex? Can you... Uh, Share with us what you brought today. So um, uh, I received this call on my third deployment to Afghanistan um, wow. from my commander, oh. uh, Lieutenant Colonel Janelle. I got it because uh, basically, you know, playing an important role um, in the operation we did over there. It was 2019 through 2020. Wow. And, um, wow. Got this, you know, just for a great role over there. How did that how that make you feel? I felt great actually because uh, it, it wasn't expected, and um, you know, it, it definitely made me feel like I was definitely a part of you know, the 82nd at that time. So it, it, it felt great to receive this coin. Cool, wow, it's amazing. 
And can you kind of describe what's on there? So it uh, basically is uh, our pan uh, Brigade Bird Panther. So this is the Panther uh, logo right here. Um, you got the Jump Master Wings uh, 2505th, we call it 2P, it's a unit, and uh, the operations we've been on throughout the whole, you know. That's neat. That's amazing. Awesome. Thank you. Tanner, how about yourself? Yeah, um, so I, I have my camera. Yeah, uh, cool. So the reason why I kind of like have this and it just always remembers or uh, reminds me of my services, like when I first joined for a combat camera, they never actually gave me the photo video role. Hmm. Uh, you know, with the military, if they find out that you're already uh, good at something, they don't teach you the rest of it. <laughs> so they switch your role. <laughs> so um, I was actually, I, I worked in the first like year and some change as like a print master. So I would, I would take all the other photographers' photos, I'd print them up and, you know, laminate them and do all that other stuff. But I used to always critique the hell out of them. <laughs> so until they, they, uh, they sent me into the field with my own camera, I bought a Sony at that time and um, I had to prove myself. So. The, I always shoot Sony, still stay shooting Sony. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm really proud that I had to prove myself and, and you know, I outdid the other trained Marines. <laughs> so, awesome, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Jimmy, how about you? Okay, the one I forgot to bring was one of our late members, Arch Wilson. He served during um, World War II and he gave me his sergeant in arms pin, which was basically the ribbon and the sergeant in arms. And unfortunately, the one part fell off. I got to glue it back on. But in the meantime, something else was special. October 4th, we had a wonderful event here in this building, in this room, where we invited like over 200 visiting people for Fleet Week and got to meet them and did a group picture. And towards the end, one of the uh, commanders came up to me and said, on behalf of the USS Vincent, we'd like to present this to you. And if you'd like to see that, and uh, the Fitzgerald, excuse me, I'm sorry, the Fitzgerald. I heard Vincent earlier, but the USS Fitzgerald, when you get old, it's tough. And for him to give that to me, it was just such an honor. It's things like this, that I will carry this for till the day I go, that it meant a lot. Some people say, it's just a coin. I said, well, to you, it just may be a coin, but to veterans, it's something very special when something gives you something like this, it's meant to give to you as honor. And it's just, I'm, I, I get sentimental. When people give me things like that, I, I appreciate it very much. Because when you look back at it, years, you look back and say, oh, I remember when this happened that day and got to meet so many wonderful veterans. Mm -hmm. Chris, how about yourself? Um, I got a lot of coins when I was in, uh, but this one, I got from Commissioner William Barnacle, who's a Veterans Affairs Commissioner for uh, San Francisco. Wow. And uh, I was having a hard time uh, with homelessness and uh, uh, trying to survive in San Francisco on $1,200 a month. That was my military retirement. And, Swords to Plowshares got me into a, a place and, and I kind of went up from there and gradually built back up and, and, and got my benefits and because I was suffering from some both mental health and physical disabilities. And uh, Commissioner Barnacle, when he gave that to me, he, he, it, 
It's got his uh, commissioner on it and his name. It says integrity first, service before self, and excellence in all we do. And so that, that uh, I take that to heart, and uh, that means uh, means a lot to me. Mm -hmm. oh. And he's an Air Force veteran. And uh, what what I liked most is that veterans coming together, whatever branch they're in, coming together and, and doing good things for the community and doing things for uh, other veterans. And uh, it means a lot. It means a lot. So that's what this means. I carry it with me everywhere I go. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. That's great. Wow. Yeah. So I, I brought a picture. Uh, it's actually a picture of my family. And um, this was from 2001 Fleet Week. And we came to San Francisco. Um, and it was um, literally the first time they ever came onto my ship. It was my mom, my dad, my brother, oh, his wow, wife, and my grandpa. And um, it has a lot of significance to me because, um, you know, they they honestly did not know anything about what I was doing or had no clue other than movies and whatnot, right? But, um, and, you know, having that really bad relationship with my dad, it kind of, uh, it put something new into him that saw me on this ship working with all these people, like being responsible for millions of dollars of equipment, right? Um, and, you know, that was like literally the first time he ever said he was proud of me, wow. you know, that time he visited. You know, we're, we're not a family that even says, like, I love you or what a good job kind of thing, you know. Um, but it was, like, literally the first time he said that to me. And so it meant a lot. Um, and it's just kind of like this um, this moment of, it's kind of weird. It's this moment of, like, not necessarily being accepted by my family, but being, like, almost accepted as, like, as if like I was like a true American kind of feeling because like just growing up, you know, it's like balancing two different cultures, you know? And so, but having them, like a small family of Chinese people walking through a ship and with all these other people and everyone's wondering like, what's going on? Who are these people, you know? <laughs> but then, you know, all of a sudden they also felt proud to be an American too, be in this country as well because their son, you know, was serving, you know, for the country and stuff like that. So, so it was like a really, really uh, great moment. Um, just having them see what I do, and um, yeah, and, and it, you know, forever that just that memory it's just will be with me forever. So, I'd like to really comment on this photograph. It moved me. I say I'm a very emotional person, but it moved me. I never met this gentleman, but for him to share the story, how finally Dad Bay said. I accept you. You're a salt, you're, you're, you're a veteran. You're serving your country. That is very moving because today, especially in the gay community, there's still families that you're gay, get out of here. I'm thankful my family accepted me. And to me, it's I can understand relate that where his father kind of like, get out of here. But when you put that uniform on, it just opened his eyes. And I just thank you for sharing that. It's wonderful. I wish every family could be like that. That is my goal, especially if you're a veteran. Your family should accept you, everybody. So thank you for sharing that with me. Yeah. That really means a lot. For some reason, the, a tough part of uh, adjusting back to, and it's always weird for me to say civilian life because I always kind of feel like a civilian, but I guess I'm not and I am, but to adjust back to civilian life, um, 
it's, it's a little bit tougher because we're so used to this uh, structured life, uh, you know, having food cooked for us sometimes and having the medical bay ready for us and knowing what we're going to do from literally 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. every day and stuff like that. So just wanted to hear if, like, that, that it, if it was, how was it that, that transition back to civilian life? Jamie, how about you? Well, when I first came back home, it was interesting because um, they still hadn't, you know, passed the don't ask, don't tell. And I was actually living in the Castro, 407 17th Street. So we used to call it the swamp. I mean, it was right there. And people would say, how do you avoid it? I said, well, I look at it this way. I'm going to live my life. If they do approach me and say, you know, you can get kicked out, I would tell them, fine. If that's the way you feel, that's your problem. But I serve proudly. Uh, one of the things I did notice um, when I get first time I went to Golden Gate Park, helicopter came over. You know what happened? <laughs> I dove right into the trees. So I said, "What's the matter with him?" Just got out of basic training. Oh, got it. But um, it was it was it was neat. Um, I was still very the gung ho, and people were like, "What's the matter with him?" My partner said, "Well, he just got out of the military." Oh, how did you survive that? I said, "Just you know, basically." Like today, nowadays, sometimes you just got to learn to keep your mouth shut and go with the flow. But today, now we can say what we want. And um, I think one of the things that kind of bothered me a little bit was um, you go to a store or something and just politely say, by any chance, do you give any kind of discount for veterans? And it was just amazing the number of people were appalled. Why should you get special treatment? Excuse me? We served our country. I think we're entitled to it. But it was just amazing. People, some people say, we're glad to have you here. Other people just kind of look at you like, and I just tell them, say, you know, it's just, it's sad. I serve my country, and so you can do things like that. But that's okay. That's okay. There's still many good people that appreciate us veterans. And so once I realized I'm here, this is my home, and people are going to accept me or they're not going to accept me, and I, I said, you accept me? That's cool. And again, until I got sick and I had to take an early leave absence, I put my uniform on every month, went down to the San Mateo um, National Guard unit, proudly served and came back home and just lived a normal life. Hmm. As normal as could be. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, uh, how about you, like to share? Um, with 20 years in and retiring, uh, I'm still working on getting acclimated back um, because you with, you get in that military mindset mm -hmm. and uh, you look at, like, I, I go back to my combat tour and uh, I have flashbacks of uh, uh, seeing those kids in, in, in the situation they were in, and, and uh, mm. it just uh, it affected me yeah. a lot. And so it's it's taken a while. I've got PTSD, and uh, I suffer from depression because of my uh, physical injuries and stuff like that. Um, but uh, it was still, would I do it over again? I would, I would, because it's for my country. And, and uh, amen to that. Yeah. And just to get into it a little more, like um, for me, um, the doctor said I had PTSD, but it was just a adjustment disorder. And it was very, it was just like, you know, going into a new environment, new setting and trying to 
hard to figure out how to do that. But for you, like, was it something you seeked out help for or was it something? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, uh, it wasn't until I got to San Francisco because I, well, let me go over the story. After I retired from the service, I wound up moving up to Virginia and working as a senior. I got hired on as a senior logistics engineer because of my uh, electronic background. And uh, also I worked on uh, turrets and things of that nature as well. And uh, so when I was up there, uh, I was around a bunch of military people and the Marine Corps colonel talk to me and stuff like that. Matter of fact, the Marine Corps Colonel come out and ask me, he says, don't the Bradley have a, a manual sight on it? I said, yeah. And he says, how come the, the, they, they didn't put one on the expeditionary fighting vehicle for the Marine Corps? And I was like, because they overlooked it. They messed up. That wasn't my exact words. But, um, and, uh, but he appreciated that because I was honest with them. And then they went back to the drawing board and took care of that problem, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But they were trying to give the Marine Corps updated equipment for that. But, uh, I felt like, um, I did feel that like, before seeking help and, and um, that it wasn't, I don't know, it's a, it's a weird thing because like, um, I know a lot of my friends had a, suffered a lot of mental health problems and they were still in and I was out and just hearing what they were going through, it kind of, you know, I felt really bad for them. But I, I never thought that whatever I was going through was as serious as what they're going through. So I never thought that I should go get help. You know what I mean? And so I think once, for some reason, once the doctor gave me a real diagnose, diagnosis, whatever, like named it, mm -hmm. then it kind of became more accepting. And then I was more accepting to find help and get help kind of thing. Right. But before that, I was kind of trying to just avoid it or, or at least not name it at least or something like that. I don't well, know if to, to go on top of that as well, I mean, it's, it's a military thing in general, I feel like, where they kind of teach you to not seek out help. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. it's, yeah. you know, if, if you're seen at the, the medical office, you're weak, right? So yeah. unfortunately, that's the, the, you know, the gun club motto, but um, at the same time, absolutely you should reach out like it's not going to make you a weaker person yeah I, did, I, I didn't get my treatment until seven years after i was out yeah. and uh they you know they diagnosed me with migraines when i got out and that was but later down the road i knew i needed to get help for the other things that was going on with flashbacks and and different things like that. And uh, it wasn't until I got to San Francisco that I got that help. San Francisco's got the best VA, I think, out, out there. And uh, they took me through. They said I had a personality disorder. And uh, hmm. so I, I had to kind of grasp that because I wasn't used to hearing that. And. Uh, but I went through the different programs that they've got for mental health, and it's, it's helped me to come back out of a shell and, and, and get back into society and stuff like that. And I uh, appreciate being around uh, my fellow veterans and 
uh, not worrying about, well, I got to worry about this is coming back and in my mind and stuff. And uh, it's, it's, it's helped me grow and move forward, move on with my life. And uh, helping other veterans get through it, uh, knowing veterans coming out of service, um, not prepared because they weren't briefed ahead of time. Because when you're in, let's face it, the op tempo is like really strong. We worked 18 hour days when I was in Bosnia, seven mm -hmm. days a week. And so you're, you're, you're programmed into that. And so coming out, um, it takes a while to decompress. That's what I'm looking for, mm -hmm. is decompress and get back into a normal life with, with your fellow people in the country, yeah. fellow citizens and stuff. Can I add a comment that I'm glad you got that help because years ago, my family wanted to send me to a psychiatrist because of homosexuality. And as soon as you mentioned psychiatrist, Oh, no, that's sick. It's absurd. But today that you can get the help, and I'm so glad you were able to receive that help being a veteran. And there's a lot of people out there that need help, and I know we're going to talk about that, is we need to start reaching out to these people. Don't wait for them. Sometimes people were afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to reach out and say, is there anything we can do for you as a fellow veteran? Do you need help? Come on, let's get you in here and get the proper medical help, whatever, regardless. Just to sit down and talk with somebody if it'll help you. That's what we need to do more of. And I'm so glad that you were able to get that treatment because you deserve it. As a veteran and as a person, no one should be denied that treatment. I'm so glad you're doing better. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. It's great to hear. Alex, I know it's a little difficult, different for you since you're in your serving right now, but... Um, I still struggle the same things as, you know, any other service member has, you know, probably been through or is going through. Um, you know, it's tough to sleep, things like that, you know, just always ready to go, you know, at a moment's notice of anything, even if we're not, you know, tasked to do anything. It's just, it's just always there in the mindset. And um, I can see it could be difficult, you know, transitioning back into civilian life because, even still being in the service, still, you know, still rough too as well there. So I can only imagine transitioning to a full-time civilian. So. Is it, uh, as like an active, uh, you know, being active, is it more talked about now as far as taking care of your mental health? Oh, uh, from, especially from everybody's time in the service, it's definitely changed a lot. Um, but Good. I will say, you know, it's brief to you, but you have to, as a soldier, Marine, anybody, you have to kind of, you know, push yourself as well to go get the treatment as well. Hmm. Yeah. You know, but I will say sometimes those things aren't thrown out to a soldier or whatever, a uh, service member, but um, it's, it's definitely briefed to go get help if you need it. You know, it's just up to the soldier to go get the treatment. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, it helps with, with other veterans you know, kind of see that mm -hmm. and, and they reach out. I don't know if everybody knows, but Congress has mandated uh, through uh, law that we reach out to all veterans and uh, make sure that they get a chance to, if they need benefits, they get their benefits. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
so it, it, it's reaching out to a veteran and trying to, there's only one veteran that, that would not, and he slept in the train station down in uh, Powell Street. Um, he wanted nothing to do with society. Yeah. And uh, they tried everything they could to, to, to get him to come in, and but yeah. he just, uh, it was sad. So, and, and I and, and I don't want to leave a veteran behind, right? Right. Because they didn't leave me behind when I was in combat. They didn't leave me behind when, when I was going through the training right next to them. You know, everybody was, hey, let's pick him up and bring him along if he need, you know if somebody yeah. needed it and stuff like that. And uh, that's the biggest thing about veterans and the bond we got is because it's a team team player mm -hmm. and, yeah. and, and you help one another get through what you're going through. Yeah. I had a friend that um, he was kind of sharing to me that it was tough because, you know, he was doing like these group therapy sessions with other veterans, but um, it just felt not weird, but there's like this term called like imposter syndrome where you feel like you don't belong there because like he's probably like in this group with, with other veterans that either like lost a limb or, you know, something more severe where, and where he was just more, I guess, you know, depressed, but he didn't feel like he belonged as far as like being injured or, you know, having something wrong with him. And like, so sometimes when other veterans can, you know, talk to each other and invite each other and just share their story, like whether how good, bad, whatever, worse it is that you're going through that, you know, everyone's going through their own journey, you know, mm -hmm. and it's very different. But I think at the same time, we all deserve to get help. And, you know, because, you know, what we've sacrificed, what we've done, you know, for our country and stuff. And it's just the, hopefully they, they can offer the service, but it's obviously for us to you know, go in there and get the service, but right. at the same time, we have to try to share that you know, whether it's how easy it is or whether how accepted it is, or you know, it's not like something that makes you weak or something that's like, uh, you know, a bothersome for other people, right? Because like you might feel like, oh, I can do it on my own. I don't want to bother my mom or dad to take me anywhere, yeah. right? It's like we want to try to you know make sure everyone is okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just got my latest email from the American Legion headquarters, and I love how they remind you, do the calling tree. That's where, if you have, I haven't seen you in a couple of weeks, I'm going to call you and find out what's going on. If you haven't That's seen true. him, yeah. you're going to call him, yeah. vice versa. Absolutely. Reach out. If you don't see someone, don't be afraid. The person says, I'm sorry, I just, just need to be by myself. That's fine, but let them know that you're caring. Because sometimes I've seen where people, like they feel, well, nobody calls you. Why should I even be alive? Why should I live? Yeah. We all should live. We all should be able to have somebody that we can say, I'm going to call you. We're going to go out and have a cup of coffee. Just talk about what you need to talk about. Just, just to get it off your chest. Sometimes people don't realize, just a few minutes to talk to somebody, that can be such a life-changing experience, knowing that, wow, somebody took time to care for me. You know, and that's so very important. We need to have every veteran to be able to call the VA and not be put on hold for five months. You're help, you need help, you should be able to go into that VA today and immediately yeah, start getting treatment. And there's no reason why we can't do this. And I wish there was a way I could like literally go to Congress and 
kick some tail and tell them, say, look, you need to get your act together. These people served their country. They put their life on the line. They came home. My brother came home as a heroin addict from Vietnam. A lot of people don't realize, but in wow. Vietnam, if you weren't buzzed by 9 o'clock in the morning, you didn't survive. <laughs> and this is sad. These people needed the help, and they should never be denied the help. Never, ever. And there's a way I can get Congress today to make that bill effective immediately. No veteran would ever be turned away for anything whatsoever. Hmm. I'll show you that bill because it's, it's, it's in there. What we need to do is let people know that it's in there. Yeah, I didn't know that until you just said it today. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm, I'm learning things as we go along, and this is what's so important. These get-together to talk is you learn, you share, and that's how you're able to reach out to help other veterans, and I thank yeah. you for that. Yeah, absolutely. It's very important. And your passion, you know, I've been watching your passion with when you were speaking to 200 veterans, Navy veterans right. and Air Force and... Uh, Marine Corps, um, you can see that in your voice, how you're caring. And uh, they seen that. And, and uh, that lets them know that, hey, we're, 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 we're taking the baton and moving on. And, and uh, we got people back here that support us. Exactly. And uh, that's, that's so important. Thank you. Thank you. That was a real honor doing that, to let them know that, hey, I know most of you people are many, many miles away from home. You're on active duty right now. So we want you to make sure you know that your family, we're your family here today. And not just today, but we need to step up and be family for every veteran 365 days a year. Absolutely. I'd like to see more of that. Yeah, because veteran, as veterans, you're, when you get deployed, you're Christmas time. Mm -hmm. You're not home with your family. Right. You're, you're, on, the con you're, you're on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. And, and, and knowing that somebody's back here that's got your back mm -hmm. and stuff like that is... It's very important. Yeah. So what, what, what could we say, let's say, for example, for Alex who's still serving, what could we say or advice for him as far as like taking care of his mental health or, you know, even... Because one day, I don't know if it's soon or later, you're going to get out of the service, but... What's some like advice that we've learned as far as mental health that we could pass on to Alex? I think you, you should be able to go in and see the, if you're having depression or you're having uh, a moment, you should be able to go into the TMC and be seen without having repercussions of, oh, he's got depression now. We gotta look at what he's doing. Because it's not like that. Right. Um, we can still function and still do our jobs, but have depression and have PTSD. We just need maybe some coping skills, mm -hmm. you know. But we're still an active part of getting the job done and getting the mission done. And uh, so that, that's what I would tell you is, you know, don't be afraid to go in and... and uh, talk to them and say, tell them what's going on and stuff like that. And, um, or even your fellow veterans, you know, just in a group. We used to uh, play quarters and talk after, you know, yeah. <laughs> with beer and stuff like that. And uh, But we never got too far gone with drinking yeah. where we couldn't help our fellow 
veteran. And, and uh, that, that camaraderie, that's the word I'm looking for, that camaraderie mm-hmm. is, is you have it while you're in, you got it when you're out because we're here also. So, I just say, I recommend if you have access that definitely go for it. Cause as I said, years ago, if you even, as he said, you mentioned, put that person back there in the line. We don't want them up front because they're nuts already. Yeah. Well, it's not that we're nuts. We have emotional problems and being an active person, there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to go to the person and say, Hey, I'm having a little problem. Can we have a sit down and talk? That should not be nice. You should have that instantly, okay? Yeah. Because he went through a lot. It was tough, but he finally got the help. And the fact, you're still young now. I would not like to see you come out to the point where you'd be like, they just didn't care about me. No, that shouldn't be. You're an active so- soldier. They should be taking care of you immediately. And as well as retired veterans, there should be no questions asked. If you need help, you should be able to get that help instantly. Absolutely. Instantly. And that, that's my opinion. When you deny veterans, it's a slap in the face to all the veterans in this country. Yeah. It is. I, I, I echo what a friend of mine told me, that every veteran should have free medical. Yeah. And that, and that free medical should go all the way to dental. Mm-hmm. Amen to and, that. Yes, and, indeed. And uh, that, I definitely echo that. Every veteran who serves should get free medical. Period. And I add one more thing on that about serving. We've heard in the news where people have come to this country to flee from their country, the persecution, and they're willing to serve our country. And by God, if you take your hand and swear oath to this country, then I think you should automatically become a citizenship. No questions asked. It's sad because we've seen the news where you served, now your service up, throw them back to their own country. No, that's wrong. That's not right. If you're willing to serve the country, this country here for the military, then by God, the minute you take your hand and say, I uphold the Constitution, then you should say, yes, I'm a citizen. And that law should be in effect. And again, if there was some way we'd get that law enacted today, I would be so happy because I've seen where families are torn apart because, hey, you did your job. We don't need you anymore. Get out. No. You serve this country. You deserve to stay here and be a citizen, effective immediately. Yeah. I could see that. Um, So... I mean, I, it's been more recent since I've been out, right? <laughs> I got out in 2017. Um, it, the transition is, is ridiculous because you go from having absolutely your entire life is just scheduled and maintained. You don't even have to think about what you're doing. You're just going to be doing it. Right, um, right. And then, you know, you show up in the civilian world and everything is different. Everybody's late. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's not like you don't have to show up exactly on that, that uh, specific time. And, but like... It took, I mean, I, I, even now, like, I still show up early to things, right? But that's, I think that just helps me as a, right. as a, <laughs> a person. Um, but, like, you always still carry, like, that, that sense of, like, urgency, that, that, like, you know, the stress that comes with it. Um, it's just how you, I guess, manage it now. And, uh, and talking to the psychiatrist and, and getting help is absolutely something um, that's a, a necessity, right? Mm-hmm. Like. Uh, especially, you know, we're coming out of COVID like that, that hit everybody hard. Indeed, um, I'm indeed. still coming back with my social skills because <laughs> it's almost like you just don't talk to anybody for two years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially being in the, in the civilian side of that and then going to college, um, you know, that was, that was definitely really rough. 
a rough time. Uh, and I got help through that, and that is, it, was a, it was needed. Um, so funny enough, in the, in the Marine Corps, we used to call this psychiatrist, because psychiatrist, to me, is like a, it's like a no-no word, you know? <laughs> they're, always, they're always like, no, no, don't, don't talk about that kind of stuff. Um, we used to call them wizards. <laughs> wizards? <laughs> because, I mean, they, they do magic. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, whenever, whenever we'd have, like, our Marines, and, and, you know, when I picked up Sergeant, too, I always, I always tried talking to my Marines to make sure to get them help because the, the NCOs that I had prior, they were not like that. Right. Uh, you know, they would almost do everything in the opposite to keep you away from the medical or from psychiatrists or anything like that. Um, but it's not a sign of weakness. It's, no. it's honestly, no. if it, it's more a sign of strength on you. Yeah, you're, you're being able to actually recognize that something is off and I need help. Exactly. Um, yeah. yeah, exactly. Great. And lastly, this is the last question. Um, and thank you so much for sharing. Um, I know it's a tough and but more accepted topic to talk about, you know, and uh, especially if we're not either experts or whatever, and we just don't know how to talk about mental health. But uh, it's it's definitely a great conversation to have, uh, especially hearing from, you know, fellow veterans and stuff like that. But lastly, so knowing what you know now, your all your experience is good and bad. Would you do it all over again? Yes, absolutely. In a heartbeat. Yeah, yeah I think so, too. I think uh, I always say there were a lot more negatives and positives, but I definitely came out a much better person. And, you know, and something like that, I would have, you know, something you just can't take away. And like, I couldn't even imagine myself, my life if I never went in and stuff like that. So, uh, and served. So that's why I feel like, you know, of course there's gonna be negatives of every single experience you have, whether it's college, marriage, um, you know, different chapters in your life, but, you know, uh, what you learned from it, who you, you know, met, and the friendships and all the things that, all the, the other positives, you know, because obviously we pay attention to the negatives a lot, and that sticks with us a little more, but uh, definitely uh, would do it again. Anyone else want to comment? I would do it again because the unique part was I went in as an old man. I was grandpa. I went in literally 32 that's, years oh, old. That's insane. 32 years old. And the drill sergeant said, Grandpa, what you doing here? I said, oh, I just love the wardrobe and the, 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 uh, the combination of fabric. And the meal is wonderful. I mean, if you just could bring me in a little ring the bell in the morning. He goes, yeah, I'm going to ring your bell. And uh, I said, it was such a unique experience that I thought, I'm not going to be able to make it. But I said to myself, as the old said, you made the bed, you lay, you, you sleep in it. And I said, I will be determined to do this. The discipline part was easy. Like I said, the old days when grandma would say, right. I will knock you over that balcony if you look at me oh, cross-eyed. Yeah. The physical PT, that was a little tough. But I did it. But the one thing I was so glad when I got to um, Fort Lee, Virginia, my PT got cut drastic due to my age. <laughs> so I didn't have to do all them, put all them uh, push-ups and sit-ups like the other guys did. But it was a unique experience, and I got to become platoon guide mm. because I was the oldest guy. Yeah. And I was still just a plain private. I haven't, hadn't been promoted anything. But I'll share this with you real quick. You know how you learn how to do marching, right? My first day, I'm learning how to move your platoon over. Turn right. <laughs> I, for the love of God, could not remember platoon halt. And I'm like, stop, stop. And my 
First Sergeant standing over there going like, oh, Jesus, Mary and Joseph. Well, naturally, the next day, they made me do drill time for like three hours. I know how to do a property now. But again, it was a unique experience, and I would gladly do it again because I love my country. I love helping people like that, and it's a unique experience. What was the hardest physical thing you had that was challenging? Like, was it like your feet or something, or was it like the beds you slept on? Now that you mentioned, when I went to, um, was still Fort Sill or Fort Lee, Fort I wake up in the morning, and when I step on the floor, it was like my feet were numb. Mm. And so I went to the doctor, and he said, we're gonna see, if it's, see what's wrong. I told him, I said, I, when I step on it, I said, no, it's okay. He turns and says, what's that over there? He took a cigarette lighter and lit it under my toe. I said, ouch, you son of a... He goes, what did you say? I said, ouch, sir. He goes, that's better. He goes, no, you don't have the property. Put your boot back on and get to class, okay? My first few weeks of boot camp, they, you know, gave me the wrong prescription glasses, Ooh, right? Wow. Oh, no. And they were called, back in the days, I don't know what they're called, they call it BCs, they call it birth control glasses, because they're, yeah, so yeah. they're so thick that no one will ever have sex with Coke you, bottles, so they're like Coke birth bottles. control. Oh and those are in God. style now. And they're, yeah, they're in style now. <laughs> first few, few, first two weeks, it was completely wrong. I kept throwing up and whatever, oh, and they, no. wouldn't, they wouldn't fix it. They're like, nope, just deal with it, and so. I, wow. So then, and they told me it was indestructible, and one day I just broke it. <laughs> and then I was like, I need new glasses. And then finally they fixed my prescription. Oh, Ridiculous. That's amazing. But Chris, um, would, you, would you do it over again? I would definitely do it over again. And if hindsight is with me, uh, there's a few things that I would probably do different. I, uh, I got knocked out of going through the Special Forces Q course and all that stuff because of a car accident I had. There was an alert and I come around the curve and there was uh, two hillbillies <laughs> parked on my side of the road with their headlights on and I had to veer right oh, no. and I hit a Dixie dumpster at 45 miles an hour. Oh my God, a Dixie dumpster. Yeah, Oof. two of them. And uh, my my whole front end of the car was smashed up, but Ouch. I was going into an alert in the hundred first, mm -hmm. and uh, that that hit. But uh, that affected me. I didn't realize how bad yeah. until San Francisco VA got a hold of me, and uh, now they're looking at TBIs and all that stuff. So. Mm. Yeah. But I, I would definitely do it over again. That's awesome. I, That's uh, awesome. Alex, how about you? Um, there's a lot of things I would, you know, one that wish I could have done as well. Like, um, there's some schools out there I wanted to do that I wish I could, you know, could do. But um, just, you know, just basically jumping was like the thing I wanted to do, and you know, mm. yeah, so yeah, yeah. right on. Oh, I just wanted to do that. <laughs> Tanner, how about you? Yeah, I'd absolutely do it again in a heartbeat. Um, similar, like, like the physical stuff, that was always my favorite, right? Like <laughs> going into the field, you know, spending a month out with like, you know, some guys and it's, it's pouring rain because you're in North Carolina and it rains more than you have sun. So, <laughs> yep. you know, you're living next to the swamps. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, that was always my favorite. Uh, just like being outside, like with other Marines or, you know, other military. Uh, and just always working. Because, um, like, you know, the civilian lifestyle, that's one of the biggest things that changed. 
You know, yeah. I couldn't go out and like keep working, keep doing all this other stuff. You know, now we're on sets. Uh, you know, we're doing like we're dealing with fake lighting all day. <laughs> so you go in and it's dark, and you leave and it's dark. And man, I miss the sunlight. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, I'd do it again in a heartbeat. I got one last yeah, question I got to ask you guys. Seriously, what was it like the minute you jumped out of that plane for the very first time? What was it feeling like? I've always been curious about that. I've never I, never, I, I was on a rope. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, I'm pretty sure everybody has a different experience, but uh -huh. for, for me, um, I never really had a problem. So my first time when we were getting ready to jump, when they opened the doors. Right. That's like the scariest part because, you know, you just, you don't know how the wind's going to be or, you know, how, how your land is going to be. So right. it's just, uh, I've always had a problem. My leg would start shaking. And then as soon as we start like starting to move, that's yeah. when everything just, you know, goes out the window. And then, you know, once you jump out, it's, it's totally different. Like it's, it's more calm and everything like that. But I would say going up from the ground to, to there is uh -huh. like the, the scariest part. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for coming today and sharing. Really appreciate it. Um, like I think like we all said, you know, we need to just reach out to more veterans, mm -hmm. um, you know, to start a dialogue, just, you know, have that excuse to just say, hey, what's up? And, you know, just have a maybe a coffee or something, just see how they're doing and check on each other, you know, from time to time and stuff like that. Um, and lastly, just want to really, really thank uh, One Vet, One Voice for putting this, getting you guys all together, giving us this space to film. Uh, so really appreciate them, them as well. So thank you guys. Thank you. Just give you a heads up, looking out for each other. As soon as I leave here, I got to go to the store and get one of my post members some cough syrup. And this is what we were talking about, reaching out. He said, you know, I've always been there taking care of other people, and I forget to take care of myself. Well, his friend says... Call Jimmy. He goes, I hate, and I said, do me a favor. I said, don't ever say, I hate to bother you. It's no bother. I said, you pick up the phone, you call me, I'm go to the store, I'm get your cough medicine. as simple as that. And that's what I'd love to see more people do, just the random acts of kindness. And I want to thank everybody here for being here and this production staff for having us. It was a real honor. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Real honor.